Lord Jesus Christ, you indeed are worthy of all power, glory. It is due to your name. For you left the Father's side. You gave up all. in order to become a human being, to serve, to sacrifice your own life for the sake of the Father and for our sake. And now that you have returned and seated at your Father's right hand, you reign. Lord Jesus, please, today, would you be present here with us as your Spirit speaks through your word, please manifest your rule among us today. For Jesus' sake I ask it. Amen. Well, it's great to be here. I'm so thrilled to be preaching at Bustleton Baptist. It's the first time. Uh, it's only taken 26 years for me to do that, but uh, I'm very, very glad to do it. There are different reasons why it hasn't happened before. Some time ago, I listened to two TED Talks. You know TED Talks, yeah? Two TED Talks, and I'd like to listen to TED Talks. They keep me in touch with what some people are thinking in different parts of the world, and sometimes I've got good ideas. It was a young guy, probably about oh, 25, and he was quite uh, savvy, and he was, he was the gun on, on what young people are looking for in a job today. And uh, he was making his presentation and he said, he said, people today do not want to make money. That's not why they're in, in going into work. And not only that, they're not looking for security. What they really want to do is to make an impact. They want to see the world change. This is what this uh, person was saying. And so... He's exhorting all the people there to get young people to fit in, not just to fit in, but to, to, to allow them to see their visions fulfilled. And if you look at all the TED Talks, actually, they're pretty much all like that. That's what they are. And then I saw another TED Talk by, by an older gentleman, uh, probably in his 80s. And he challenged his TED Talk colleagues to address what he thought were the big three issues in the world. Issues that cause untold harm again and again and again. And he named these three big enemies. Suffering, death, and evil. He said he pleaded with the TED Talk people if they could have more talks that actually helped us to deal with suffering, death, and evil. That would be great. Uh, the, the name of that speaker was Billy Graham. I think it was his only TED Talk. You see, what Billy Graham was saying was, don't deal with the symptoms. Don't deal with the things on the surface. We've got to deal with the causes, the things under 
the surface, not just, not just the symptoms. Psalm 110 is dealing with the causes. It's dealing with the big things that confront human beings, us, every day of our lives. There'll be people here today who've been affected by suffering, who've been affected by death within their family. And all of us here today are affected by evil, whether we acknowledge it or not. Psalm 110 has two parts to it. Each part begins with a quotation mark. Would you turn that Bible passage open? Psalm 110. And you'll see that the first verse of Psalm 110 has a Bible passage, a quotation, and that the second part has. So verse 1, sit at my right hand, is in quotation marks. And then verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, also has quotation marks. That means that those two headings mark the two sections of Psalm 110. Today we're only looking at the first section. There's another talk I've got on the second section, but we don't have time for that today. We're looking at three things today from the first section of this psalm. The supremacy of the Son, the scepter of the Son, and the servants of the Son. And we're going to be looking most of our time at that first part, the supremacy of the Son. And it comes in verse 1. Of David, a psalm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now you may have noticed that I started at my reading with, of David, a psalm. That's actually where the psalm starts. In many of your Bibles, that will be in italics or maybe in a footnote or maybe in some other font signaling to you that it's actually not part of the text of Scripture. But it is part of the text of Scripture. And it's very, very important today in this passage that we note that. That heading is a crucial part of this psalm because it tells us, as we look at it, that there are three parties involved in this psalm. Number one, David. Number two, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. And then three, my Lord, that's David's Lord. So there's David. There's the Lord, which is the name God gave to Israel, by which they and they only could call him, like, like his first name. Yeah, And then there's another person called my Lord. Three identities. But what's going on in this psalm? What's going on is that David is hearing three looking at a conversation with three parties. He's listening in to a conversation. He's overhearing a conversation between 
the Lord and my Lord. And here's the conversation. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. To sit at someone's right hand is to share their authority. But it's more than that. It's to be in a very close relationship with them. So today, we don't use this phrase perhaps very often, but you used to hear it, my right-hand man, which is a way of saying, that's the person I depend upon most of all. So it's a way of talking about someone who's close to us, but to whom I give authority and responsibility and someone that I trust. But the problem is, we're not quite sure who it is that this my Lord is identified with. Who is this right-hand man? That question was a complete mystery from the time of David for about a thousand years. Jewish teachers guessed at this identity of this my Lord because they knew this psalm and they knew that the heading was part of the psalm. They couldn't work out who it was until Jesus walks in and teaches them from Matthew 22. There it is. It's delayed. I'm working with it. Oh, it's gone back one. All right. No, that's the same one again. I'll tell you what, why don't we just use our Bibles? You know those things there? Yeah, okay, let's do that. All right. We'll come back to it. So I'm looking at Matthew 22. There it is. Excellent. Thanks, brother. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus is asking them a question. Whose son is the Messiah? The son of David, they say. Then we pick up where we've got on the screen. Because that's actually a good guess. He said to them, if it's David's son, then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus says, if David calls him Lord... How can he be his son? You've got to love Bible 101 with Jesus. What does the text say? Jesus is saying, look at the text of Psalm 110 again. Your answer doesn't make sense from the text. Yes, of course, Jesus says, David's son is the Messiah, the Christ, the heir of the Davidic line, but he must be more than that because David calls him my Lord. No father here today would call their son master. But that's exactly what David is doing in Psalm 110. The Jewish leaders and people were waiting for God to do something dramatic, to raise up a Messiah a kingdom on earth for David. Someone who could come and smash their enemies, get rid of all of the problems, 
Someone who would deal with the symptoms, not the causes. And Jesus says, you think that if we could get rid of the Romans, that if we could have our blokes in charge, that's problem solved. And Jesus says, well, it hasn't worked for 500 years or indeed 1,000 years, and it's not going to start now. He's saying, stop dealing with the invisible enemies and start dealing with the, vi vi the visible enemies and start dealing with the real enemies. But the problem with Psalm 110 is that it doesn't start at the beginning. It doesn't tell us what happens before this person is elevated to sit at God's right hand. And that's where Peter, on the day of Pentecost, comes in. Hang in there with me, we're nearly there. Come with me now over to Acts chapter 2. Because Peter, on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, joins all the dots together and includes Psalm 110 in the whole story. And Peter, as you know, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the people begin speaking in other languages, they're quizzed about this, and Peter defends it by saying, this is what God spoke about in the book of Joel, and then he gives a long explanation about Jesus, how Jesus performed wondrous signs, he was handed over by you to death, but it was in God's plan and foreknowledge. The one God raised from the dead, he freed him from the agony of death, and then he goes through Psalm 16, and now he comes to verse 31. Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did he see his body decay. God raised Jesus, this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel know and be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. A long explanation. What's it coming down to? That Jesus' life that Jesus' ministry, that Jesus' death, that Jesus' resurrection are all pointing to the fact that he's not just the next stage in God's plan with more stages to come. He's the final stage. He's the climax. He's the one who's dealing with the hidden enemies. He's the one who's dealt with the mega enemy of death. He must have dealt with death in order to conquer death himself. Not just for himself, but for other people. And he's dealt with the power of sin which causes death. See, what Peter is saying is that Jesus' ascension to God's right hand has declared to all people everywhere that he is the exalted one. That he has achieved all of God's purposes. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's the major stage in God's purposes. That's what Psalm 110 verse 1 is saying. 
So what's it all mean? What's the takeout? It's this. The supremacy of God's position at God's right hand points to the sufficiency of his conquest over the powers that destroy us. I'll say that again. The supremacy of Jesus' position at God's right hand, remember there's no greater position that anyone can be than at God's right hand, the supremacy of that position must mean that he has the sufficiency of conquesting over all the enemies that we deal with. That means that if you belong to Jesus, there's no power in heaven above or on earth beneath or anywhere else that can destroy you. None. Do you understand that? It's a done deal. It's over. Now maybe things aren't going the way that you want them to go at the moment. Uh, maybe in your family. I know what that's like. Uh, uh, maybe the things that you're wanting to go your way are actually the things that you think God wants to go your way and they're still not going your way. And you go to bed with a heavy heart. And not many people know that. So what are you going to do? Because of Psalm 110, verse 1. What's, what are you going to do? Here's what you're going to do. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, and you've worked out that Jesus did not return overnight, you're going to sit on the edge of your bed, and you're going to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus in charge or not? Is Jesus seated at the right hand of God or not? Is God bringing all of our enemies under the feet of Jesus or not? That's what you've got to ask yourself. And the answer you're going to give yourself is yes, yes, and yes. So here's what you're going to do then. You're going to get up. You're going to get dressed. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to say your prayers. You're going to have your breakfast. You're going to clean your teeth. And you'll get on with your day. Because Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's actually in charge. Because Jesus' death, because he's at the right hand of God, it must mean his death is sufficient for your sins and my sins. It must also mean that his power has conquered the grave and will conquer your grave. It must also mean that his comfort, his grace, his strength, his presence, his spirit are sufficient completely. There is no lack for you and me. And say, Don, it's just fantastic, really great, love that stuff, but like, uh, it doesn't feel like that. I don't feel like that. No, no, it doesn't feel like it. That's why you've got to ask those questions. Is Jesus at the right hand of God or not? 
There's another issue that comes up. And that is that we live in the land of until. Do you see that word there in the third line? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's not finished yet. The real battle is over. Victory has been proclaimed. And what's happening now is the mopping up exercise, the, the rounding up of the conquered enemies. But that raises a question for us. How is it that God is now raising, bringing back those enemies under the feet of Jesus? That takes us to our second point, which is the scepter of the sun. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Uh, fans of the royal family, uh, there may be any here, I don't know. Let's say there are. They will know that uh, the queen has three symbols of authority. Uh, she has the crown. She has the orb. And she has the scepter. The rod. The symbol of authority. Which is held in her right hand. The rod symbolizes, or scepter symbolizes, the extension of the kingdom. And so it does here in this psalm. But what is the scepter or rod in this psalm? What is it that Jesus has in his hand? What is it that, that God is extending over the enemies? Extending your mighty scepter from Zion. From the city of God, which we understand to be the heavenly realm. What is that thing? And how is God sending that forth? Such that Jesus is ruling in the midst of his enemies. He's not just in heaven. He's actually ruling right now in their midst. How's he doing it? Well, that's a great question. And I asked it. And I went looking at the... 40 different commentaries in my collection on the Psalms. And guess what the answer was? We don't know. Labor's is money well spent, isn't it? A couple of thousand dollars. So I had to go and do the work. I had to think, as a Christian, what is that scepter? And the way you think as a Christian is, you look at what the Bible says. And so I looked at what the Bible says. I looked at Psalm 110 again. And I want you to do that with me now. What verse is it that comes before verse, verse 2? That's your turn. Verse 1. Well done. Excellent. I knew the people of Bustleton were up for it. Excellent. I worked out that verse 1 is the actual scepter. It's the message the message that God has given, the declaration he has made. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That is a promise. It's a declaration by God to the Son that he will do it. It's also a declaration that Jesus is the one with authority. So the scepter in our language is 
the gospel. It's the message of salvation. That's what verse 1 is. It's the gospel, don't you know? That God has appointed his son to his right hand. There is a king, and it's not you. That's the message of verse 1. And so the gospel is what's being extended. Next question. How is the message of the gospel being extended? Answer. Preaching. That's how it's being extended. Preaching. Not pulpiteering. Proclaiming. Telling forth. That's how Jesus is ruling in the midst of his enemies right now. I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of Jesus Christ. I would not regard him as Lord. I ridiculed and mocked my teacher of, of scripture at school. How did he capture me? Through the gospel. Through the gospel. And that's what happens on the day of Pentecost, isn't it? As Peter preaches, enemies, those who announced that Jesus was not the Messiah, that he was a false teacher, those who called for him to be crucified, submitted to him as the message was preached. 3,000 people believed on that day. And you know what? The gospel hasn't stopped going out. Why, it's even reached Bustleton. And also, believe it or not, Perth. I mean, isn't that what God's doing right now? Isn't that what's actually taking place here this morning? We've heard it several times in the dedication, in the Bible reading, in the songs, in what I'm saying. The gospel's going out. Bringing enemies under the feet of Jesus. And it could be that this morning there's someone here today who for the first time knows that they're on the wrong side of God. And that they finally understood that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's not just a great teacher or an important guru. That he actually has the authority over all enemies, over all the earth, and can actually bring evil, death, and suffering under his power. Now, I want to say, if that's you, as it happened to me 48 years ago, be reconciled to God. Turn to him today. Don't put it off. Stop trying to deal with the symptoms in your life. And I say that to Christians as well. We are, we're only good at dealing with symptoms and not causes in our lives. Continually trying to sort out the mess we're making of our lives. And it's not working. Turn to the one who deals with the cause. Jesus. 
Only he has conquered death. Only he can conquer sin. And only he, he can deal with the effects of sin in our lives because he's dealt with the cause. So where are we? Well, we've seen that Jesus has been appointed at God's right hand, that God has given him all authority. At this very moment, right here, right today, God is extending the scepter of Jesus amongst his enemies and people are submitting to him here and elsewhere all over the world through the proclamation of the gospel. The last question will be quick. How? How is the gospel being proclaimed? Well, why don't we just look at verse 3? That's all we're looking at. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Well, that is one of the most unusual verses, I think, in the Bible and has caused many puzzles. And if you are a careful Bible reader, you'll note that that verse has several footnotes giving alternate possible translations. So we're in murky ground at one level, but not really. I don't think it's that confusing. Let me tell you who I think this is not talking about. These are not the uh, equivalent of, uh, you know, crack SAS paratrooper Christians. You know, that select few, you know, who've kind of got capes waving behind them you know, and they're standing like this together and they fight against all evil. No, no, that's, that's, they're made in Hollywood. <laughs> Not actually who it's talking about. Now look carefully. Your troops. Your troops. Jesus' troops. It's Jesus' people. The ordinary members of the local church like us. But listen how they're described. There's three descriptions of them as they go into battle. First of all, they are willing. They offer themselves to their saviour freely. Why do they do that? Well, because they've received freely. Secondly, they are arrayed in holy splendour or dressed in holy garments. What's that? Well, that's the robe of Christ, isn't it? The blood of Christ. That's what sanctifies us or makes us holy. Yeah, look, many in our society are disgusted and appalled uh, at our message of salvation and make every single effort to shut it down. I noticed something else is happening in Victoria uh, at the moment about that in Christian schools. We are a stench in the nostrils of many, but not to God. To God, our message is an aroma that brings life. Three, we're willing, we're arrayed in the holy robes of Jesus Christ, death for us. And last of all, this is a strange one. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. 
This is talking about bigger at the beginning of the day. Who are these people? Because they can't just be young people, although it says you're young men, it's actually referring to all of God's people. These are those who are born from above. These are those who, 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 who never flag in zeal for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are anointed with his spirit, who don't flag in the face of opposition. We don't give up. And I want to say, friends, if we belong to the risen and powerful Lord Jesus, then that's us. We are his ambassadors. We have been enlisted to, to the side of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That God would not only rescue you from sin, but enlist you with him as he goes and proclaims his gospel. In fact, you are his voice to do that. What a privilege it is to be that person. But how do we do it? Because we're afraid and we're all differently gifted. Uh, believe it or not, uh, I'm not a person who finds it easy to speak out the front, even though I've spoken for a little bit of time. How do we do it? Well, let me tell you what I do. One of the things I do to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, it won't apply to you, I don't think, although it might. Um, I, my work, um, I have late meetings sometimes and I'll catch an Uber home. And it's a great experience to do evangelism. Uh, the Uber drivers are nearly always from other countries than Australia. And so it's a fantastic opportunity. And here's my, here's my spiel. This is what I say. I'll give it to you for free. Uh, the person I'll use, his name is Zareb. It's not his real name, but let's say it is Zareb. And Zareb, oh, if you ever caught an Uber, if you haven't caught one, it's fantastic. You just feel like a king. You walk, you get in the Uber and they say, how was your day, sir? Sir, I'm feeling good already. And I say, oh, after we've gone a little way, I say, oh, Zareb, I've got about 20 minutes in the car, right? Zareb, I hear an accent there. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, I, I, I'm from such and such a country. Oh, wow, really? What, what, what part of that country are you from? Like the north, the south, the east? Whereabouts? Oh, we're from the south, sir. The south. Wow. So what's the main city in that part of the world? Oh, it's such and such, sir. Fantastic. Now, let, let, tell me, Zareb, is there a, a, like a meal, like a dish, like a, a favorite thing that comes from that part of the world? Oh, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. And I get the full description of it. And I say, can I get that in Perth? Oh, yes, sir. There's a restaurant in Canningvale. Fantastic. So I get good restaurant recommendations as well. <laughs> and then I say, now, so, Reb, is that meal, is that part of a religious festival? Well, why, yes, it is, sir. Actually, it's part of such and such a festival. I said, Wow. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Zareb, and please, I hope I'm not offending you, but as I understand it, is it true that a person in that religion can never really be confident that they are forgiven by their God? They can never really be sure of life after death. 
Zareb says to me, Sir, do you have a religion? And I say to him, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and we have another conversation. Friends, God has raised his son and seated him at his right hand. It's a done deal. He has all authority. He has conquered all the big enemies. Jesus' rule is being extended now through the gospel going out and being proclaimed in Uber cabs, in churches, in places in Africa, everywhere. And now God has enlisted you and me to join the Lord Jesus Christ to announce his name for his glory that people might be one for him, that enemies might become friends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge our need of you. We thank you that you have included us not only in the family of our Heavenly Father, but in the work that he gave you to do in the world. So please, by your Spirit, enlighten us, enthuse us, give us courage and confidence that having all the big enemies defeated, we have nothing to fear and so are free to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Saviour and Lord. And we ask it in his name. Amen.